was nuts. It was like, it was totally eye-opening to me because you'll hear these stories like, these things only eat this, like these general things. And that's, I think that's one of the most dangerous things you can do in fly fishing. And I, I fall for it all the time. I'm such a sucker for those those steadfast rules. But the truth is these are wild animals who are just trying to pass on their genes. And the best way to do that is just taking advantage of easy food sources for them. And, you know, whether it's a bait fish or not, if it's available to them and easy to get without them expending a lot of energy to get it, they will take their shot at it. And sure enough, I mean, we're catching carp on game changers now, which is insane. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. This time around, we're going to take you to Chico, California. We've got Lucas Ferenberg on the line from Meat Market Flies. Lucas, thanks for coming on the podcast. You bet. Thanks for having me, Mark. I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. So I I, uh, I got to be honest with you. I had a, a listener of the show get a hold of me and say, look, you got to talk to the guys at Meat Market Flies. They're doing some pretty cool things. And, and here we are. So... I don't know if you're That's familiar. Awesome. Yeah, man, like totally. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but basically we'll, we'll get into your fly fishing experience and all that and your business. But I always like to kind of, Lucas, take it back to your roots, to the very beginning of kind of when you got your interest for fly fishing. How, how did you get your feet wet, if you don't mind? Oh, uh, well, that's pretty easy. I had graduated from college and, you know, I was just kind of doing some early 20s floundering. <laughs> which I feel is pretty common. I wasn't sure. I, I don't know. I just had absolutely nothing going on. I had no jobs, just kind of bumming around. And uh, my cousin was living in Missoula, Montana at the time. And he, you know, he calls me up and he's like, man, you need to come out to Montana. You've got to try this fly fishing thing. It's awesome. And I was like, oh, dude, I don't know if fishing's for me. I, you know, because my only experience to that was, you know, trolling herring for salmon, and I hated it. Oh my gosh, it was just miserable. I hated that kind of fishing. Uh, and I was like, I don't know, if fishing's for me. And he's like, No, dude, you need to come out here. I think you'll be really into this. It's like active fishing. I was like, All right, dude, I'll give it a shot. And so, you know, head out there, had a great time in Missoula, and we go fishing. And I just remember, you know, him giving me this fly rod with this little six size 16 elk hair caddis on it and just cast it out there. And then sure enough, a really nice, uh, West slope cutthroat just slams it. And I, it was just like everything I was missing in my life was just like found right there. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember turning to 
my girlfriend who was, who's now my wife, but at that time we were just dating and I turned to her, I was like, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And then sure enough, here we are. <laughs> Got a company at everything now. That's awesome. I, I like that early twenties floundering. I think, I think I'm familiar. Well, yeah, it happened <laughs> a while ago, but yeah. <laughs> Hey, um, so, so tell us how you came to start Meat Market Flies. I mean, I know there's uh, a few of you guys involved. Uh, let's dig into that. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's six of us involved with the company. Uh, there's me, there's Kelsey Derrick, uh, Kelsey Derrick's two sons, Hunter and Mason, who are 15 and 18 right now, and they are just little wicked fly fishing prodigies, man. They're crazy. I wish I had as much energy as they do. And then one of our buddies, Jason Langstaff, and our good friend, Louis Alba. I think you're really smart. to. I mean, you know how long it takes to tie these flies. It probably helps having a few of you guys involved, I would assume. Oh, absolutely. It does. Uh, you know, and the other cool aspect of our company is within our company are three generations of fly fishermen. So it really gives us a unique perspective versus, I think, a lot of other people. So tell me how you got definitely dialed in on the streamers, because there's all kinds of things you could be tying at the vice, but it turns out I love yeah. the name Meat Market Flies, and I noticed it said Meet the Butchers. I assume is yep. that I'm, I assume that's the tires? Yep, that's us. <laughs> so so tell us about that story, Lucas. How how did that all come to be? Oh man, that's funny. I don't you know, to be totally honest, I'm not sure how it like we got to this point, but uh, you know, it all started with us, uh, just like fishing, uh, a bunch and we were just fishing streamers all the time and we were having a lot of success and, you know, it's just what we all like to tie as friends. And all we had was like this Instagram group chat. It was just us, just the guys that all we would do is would just send pictures of streamers. We were tying to each other and just asking, it's like, Hey, what do you think about this? And it's like, Oh, that's awesome but what if you tried this and then sending other things? It's like, Hey, what do you think about this? You know? And then it just like gained a lot of interest and we would, you know, meet at our local fly shop and we would show each other our flies and customers would walk in and they'd be like, Whoa, these flies are awesome. These like, and people would ask like, you guys sell these? And we'd be like, uh, no, but you can have a few if you want. And then it kind of hit me. It's like, maybe we should try selling this stuff. And, you know, so help fund the hobby. And here we are. And we are definitely funding the hobby. So that's good. That's awesome. If you were to name somebody that's been really influential in you getting this business going, like I always like to ask influences, whether it's fly fishing or business or otherwise, who's kind of Ooh. been, uh, who's, who's had your back on that? Oh, there's a Matt Callies from, all, I mean, he has his hands in so many things, but I think he's best known for his involvement with Loon Outdoors. But mm -hmm. he has been one of our biggest guides throughout this entire journey and has really aided us along the way, kind of as a silent advisor to us. And he's a great guy. And if you don't know him or if you haven't checked out Loon Live, you should definitely because you'll learn a lot from him. But as far as fly tying, you know, inspirations, Jay Nicholas. Uh, you can find his videos from the Caddis Fly, who's been a big one for me. Uh, Kelly Gallup has been another huge one for me. And Gunnar Brammer, I've learned a ton from. Those are all guys you should definitely check out. 
It's really interesting to me, Lucas, when we start talking streamer patterns, because it's got a real, it's a different type of tire in my mind. Maybe it's just the waters you guys are fishing. Uh, you, you're usually targeting some bigger predators, whether it be pike yeah, or bass. Yeah, absolutely. Or, yeah, so maybe speak to that a little bit. Like, how do you, some of these patterns you've come up with yourselves, am I, am I right? Oh, absolutely. Some of them, uh, actually the vast majority we have, and I mean, I wouldn't say that anything's original because everyone just borrows from everyone. And that's just how fly time is. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, like one of our best trout patterns, for example, is the fur burger and how that fly was developed was I was working in a previous life. I was a fisheries biologist and I was checking these fish traps looking for winter run snook. And I would notice, and be like, oh my gosh, we are catching insane amounts of juvenile lamprey. And if you don't know what a lamprey is, it's an elongated fish, uh, really, really ancient prehistoric fish that's parasitic in its ocean phase, uh, you know, sucks blood out of fish. And when it, they act like salmon steelhead anadromous, so they go out to the ocean to live and then they come back to the rivers to spawn. And so we catch all of these juvenile lamprey and most of them are so little, they don't even have eyes at this, uh, developed eyes at this stage. And I was like, man, these fish have to be predating on these things because it's such an easy food source for them. Mm -hmm. And so I tied up what I thought was a pretty good mimic for it. You know, large head, a uh, little bit of translucency from the glass beads that it has on it. And, dark body and then you know went out and tested it the next day and it was like lights out all of a sudden we were railing you know steelhead with them like, we might have something here you know and it's really been one of our most successful and most you know sought after patterns uh, but most of our stuff comes from you know mimicking a prey item that we see in our local waters or you know or something that's just really going to get that fish's attention, you know, really unlock that predator instinct within that fish, you know, whether it's a bass or a striped bass or a trout or a steelhead, you know, it's, we're just trying to unlock that predatory instinct. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, just like sipping dry flies is natural, which it totally is. But I mean, these, I mean, these fish are like the king of their waters. I mean, they'll eat anything that they can if it presents an opportunity for them. So that's the that's the fur burger. So so tell me about some of you. I saw a uh, garbage pail kid. Is that, is that one of yours? Yeah, uh, that's one of Jason's patterns. That's a great trout. Uh, really, really effective bass pattern for us. Uh, just kind of like your medium sized uh, bait fish pattern. Really, really great. Uh, you know, works really well all over the country. Uh, another great pattern is the pig sticker. That's kind of like your classic trout bait fish streamer. Uh, we've caught tons of bass on that one too. Hmm. Uh, but I mean, I mean, we'll do species all over the board, whether it's, you know, striped bass or, uh, someone chasing tarpon or rooster fish or just sure. someone heading out to the local trout waters. How much of the stuff that you do would be custom, Lucas? Like, do you get a lot of guys and gals calling you up and saying, hey, oh, yeah. I need I need something that looks like this? Oh, all the time. Uh, you know, 
guys hit us up all the time. They're like, hey, can you tie a dozen of this random pattern? And we look at it like, yeah, we can do that, no problem. Or uh, they'll hit us up and be like, hey, I really like this pattern, but can you change this and this on it? And, you know, nothing will hurt our feelings. We're not the type of tire that's like, no, this is the way this pattern is tied. I mean, we'll do whatever you want. So, but you know what? I mean, we'll just whip it up. You know what you're doing by by doing that? In my mind, as a as a tire, you have a huge advantage because you can make things look the way you want. Put your little spin on it. But when other people say to you, say, "I want to spin it this way," you know, the fish are seeing something they've never seen before. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for me, I find yeah. that's that's exciting when you hit the water with something that looks just a little different than the next one, right? Oh, totally. I mean, I think that's a huge advantage when you're out on the river. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes you need to, you know, use what works. But, I mean, you know, how many steelhead have seen a green butt skunk swing by? And if you come in with something a little bit mm-hmm. different, you know, chances are you'll probably you know, get a bite out of that fish yeah, easily. Yeah, totally agree. Did you guys find yeah. when you started this business that there was a, there was a bit of a hole in the market, if you will, as far as streamer patterns go? Yeah, I, definitely. You know, I just felt the one of the main reasons we thought that this company could even work was just because we felt like there was just a gap in the streamer world in general, you know, you go to the fly shop and it's just kind of all the same streamers and they're tied really poorly because, you know, I mean, the the truth is all those flies are tied overseas and, you know, and those guys are good tires, but at the end of the day, they don't care. They don't care if you catch fish. I mean, I've seen intruders with the dumbbell eyes tied on the side of the shank instead of like on the (laughs) bottom, (laughs) you know, it's like, and these flies are not cheap from fly shops. I mean, we're still talking about like anywhere from five to $15 for a fly. Right. And you're having it tied by someone who just to be quite frank, really doesn't care. So, you know, I thought, you know, for us, I was like, well, we care a lot about <laughs> the durability of our flies and the success of our customers. Uh, no one's going to care more than we are. So that's kind of why we started doing it and to offer some new patterns on the market that really were not there. I always think of energy in, energy out. So the energy that you put into tying that fly, the passion that goes into that is going to be reflected on the end of the rod. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. I mean, we get, we get emails and calls all the time from people being like, oh my gosh, like, I've been using your fly all, this single fly all season long. Caught like a hundred fish on it. It's great. It's holding up, you know, perfectly. And it's like, I can't believe it. I'm ordering a bunch more, you know, and stuff like that. And I mean, the amount of support that we've gotten and, you know, feedback from our customers has just been unbelievable. And we're so thankful for it. And we have like really great fans and customers who have really become very good friends of ours. Well, I've been uh, trying to keep up with some of your patterns on YouTube. And I kind of like to take it down to the bare bones, kind of to some specifics, if you don't mind, Lucas, as far as, yeah. as, far as your tying you know, preferences, what, what kind of vice are you tying on? What kind of hooks are you guys using? Let's, let's start at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So the vice that we actually, we all use different vices, but for me personally, I really like Regal. I use a Regal medallion, uh, and I've used it forever. And the reason I use the medallion is just because 
to be totally honest, I never use the rotary feature on the vice. I just wrap everything by hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's faster that way. I find that when I use the rotary feature, it just turns out sloppier. Um, but I mean, that's just a personal preference thing. Really, really love Regal. Uh, the other guys use Renzetti. Um, and one Jason uses a Dyna King, I'm pretty sure. And he loves it. Right. Um, and as far as hooks go, which is, is so so important in your fly tying you know if you want a quality fly that's going to be durable you have to start with quality hook that's durable and we almost exclusively used a-rex hooks really really nice danish hooks really cool designs really stout very durable we love them and then for my steelhead stuff i use aquaflies talon hook unbelievable hook if a fish even sniffs it they're going to be on uh, and that's pretty much what we use for the most part. Tools, uh, we really, really like the Loon Outdoors tools. They're very, very good, very, very innovative, and very, very affordable mm-hmm. compared to a lot of the other, you know, higher end. Yeah, I've had uh, tools that you'll see out there. I had some real good luck with Loon too. Uh, no complaints at all. And you know, yeah. I, that that how do you say it? Anorex hook. Anrex? A-Rex. A-Rex, thank you. A-H-R-E-X. I, I keep, this brand keeps coming up, so I'm going to have to, I haven't tied on them yet, I'll have to look into it, but I have talked to quite a few commercial guys that are that are using them now. Yeah, you should. They're, their hooks are unbelievable, and very, very cool, innovative designs as well. Hmm. Right on. So when, if you're you're in around your neck of the woods in, in uh, Chico, California, where do you yep. go to talk fly fishing? Is there a watering hole or a fly shop or <laughs> somewhere you like to frequent? Yeah, there is. We have a local fly shop called Fish First Fly Shop. If you're ever in Chica, swing in and check it out. They got some good stuff. Um, you know, and that's pretty much it for Chico. <laughs> but, uh, there's a large fly fishing community, but uh, we only got the single fly shop. And then, you know, it just meeting up with guys on the river, you know, after floats or after jet boat sessions or whatever, you know, that's really how we run into a lot of guys is just finishing the day. It might be kind of nice if you could, uh, I always like to ask uh, my guests to kind of take us through a perfect day on the water in your mind, kind of paint a little picture. I know it's a pretty big question, but just think about it. If you had your day, your way, you're heading out early on the water. What does that look like? Oh, that's, that's pretty easy. So a perfect day for me out on the water, uh, loading up the jet boat, heading out to the Sacramento river, you know, getting out on the water, uh, preferably, preferably a new moon phase. In my opinion, chasing stripers, you got your eight weight, you have a massive clouser tied on and you are just hammering the banks, hammering holes, hammering structure, just searching for that giant, uh, and hopefully you get it. And if not, you got some ice-cold chiladas to make up for it. <laughs> Sounds about right. So, yeah. that's, what, that's your go-to pattern for stripers? Is that a clouser? You know, it's, it's really hard to argue with the effectiveness of just the clouser minnow, and especially for stripers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and these, I will say, these are not your regular stripers. I mean, we're talking like six and a half inch stripers on a four or six and a half inch clousers on a four odd hook 
with extra large dumbbell eyes, you know, and a 30 foot, you know, type six or type seven sinking line, you know, or shooting head sinking line. Uh, very, you know, it's very demanding on your gear to be able to cast all that stuff. Uh, not easy. Double hauling is, uh, very highly recommended. Um, but it is, I mean, when you hook one, you'll be, I mean, it, you'll be all in. It is just the greatest thing ever. There's nothing better than a take on a streamer. Cause I mean, they just hammer it, don't they? Oh my gosh. They hammer it. They they hit it so hard. It's unbelievable. It's like getting hit by a bolt of lightning. I'm going to hit you with a couple of fast questions. What's your favorite bass yeah. pattern, streamer-wise? Ooh, favorite bass pattern, streamer-wise. That is tough. Oh, we have so many. Hmm. I think, okay, for bass, for me personally, uh, uh, for largemouth, I'm a big topwater guy. I'm... There is nothing better than some topwater bass action. So one of our patterns is the pill popper, and that is uh, my go-to. I pretty much fish topwater for bass like 90% of the time, to be honest, just because I love it so much. I tell people all the time, I get a lot of crap for this, but I always say I'd rather fish topwater bass than dry flies for trout. Wow, that's a big statement. It is a big statement, and don't get me wrong, I love fishing dry flies for trout, but, I mean, when the bass takes a popper, it's just unreal. It's so much fun. If you haven't tried it, you must. What about uh, if you're trout fishing, what's your go-to streamer pattern? You're reaching in your box. Oh, which one? fur burger. 100% fur. of the time, fur burger. That's pretty <laughs> much all I, <laughs> that's like, you know, my streamer box started, like, just to be huge and now it's like scaled down to just a six compartment uh just plastic box that just has various colors of fur burgers in it <laughs> and that's pretty much it i feel like an old man now where it's just like all i fish is just fur burgers is somebody that spends so much time on the water and so much time at the vice trying to imitate these minnow patterns these bait fish what is it what would you say to the listeners about color like, so say you're on a sunny day, you have a preference or on a cloudy day, like how do you determine the color? And also does that have a, you know, depend on the, the type of water you're fishing? Yeah. All of the above. I mean, you'll hear a lot of times you'll hear the bright day, bright fly, dark day, dark fly. Uh, that's pretty common and that's an okay rule. It, you, I would say that that could be true a lot of the times. Um, but color is really important. I think it's actually a really underrated part of streamer fishing and fly tying in general. But, uh, you know, if you do the dark day, dark fly, bright day, bright fly, you'll probably be okay for the most part. A lot of times I'll do the opposite of that rule, and I've had really good results doing that. Um, as far as water clarity goes, if it's super clear, uh, for me, I will not do anything just ridiculous. I won't go like, you know, like some bright pink or hot orange or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, most of the time, if it's super clear, I will fish black. I will fish like a natural, you know, almost like a hair's or like a nice tan, sure. or I will fish olive. Okay. Uh, on those really off colored days, I'll fish black again. Honestly, if you just fish black a hundred percent of the time, it'll probably be okay. <laughs> um, but I'll fish black, go something dark. Um, I will definitely fish some purple 
which, you know, will sometimes, you know, trip some people out. But, I mean, she's she's fish love purple, man. I don't know what to say. (laughs) You know, it's funny you say Uh, that. That that comes up a lot. In the last few years, purple, purple and black, for me, no matter what the pattern, seems to be fairly effective. Absolutely. That's one of the most effective Furburger colors is, uh, you know, black and purple. But the important thing is the ratio of the colors. You'll, you'll see a lot of people where it's like, this is a black and purple fly, but really it's a purple and black fly where it's like 80% purple and 20% black. Mm. Well, what you really want is you want the exact opposite. You want like 80% black, 20% purple. You just want those kind of bright colors, those kind of oddball, all oddball colors to be sort of the highlighting element in the fly. You don't want it to be the main feature. What's your go-to material on, on say, something like a fur burger, uh, the body material? What are you using for that? Rabbit strip. Right. Any yeah, any dubbing? It is. Any dubbing in, intermixed in there, or is it just strictly rabbit? You know, it's funny. It actually is just mostly rabbit. So to describe the fur burger, it's a string. It's like a micro string leech pattern where the hook is attached to the shank uh, by some fishing braid. It's like 30 pound fishing braid. You can buy it at Walmart. Um, Just total bait chucker stuff, but it works really well for attaching a trailer hook too. So you tie, you attach the braid to trailer hook tie that onto the shank and then you have your rabbit strip. And so you attach the rabbit strip to the shank and then to make the kind of the underbody, I use an EP brush. It's called the tarantula brush, Mm -hmm. really short fibers, really nice for building a very trout sized body. Um, And what's really cool about that brush is it has just a little bit of flash, which is great because I don't want too much. And it has these, very fine micro rubber uh, legs on it, like just super fine, super small, and just adds a little bit of extra wiggle to the fly. And then I'll tie on uh, some rubber legs, and then I'll do a rabbit collar up to the tungsten bead, and then boom, there you go. It's Honestly, it's a really simple fly, and we have a tutorial on YouTube uh, to check it out if you're interested in whipping some up yourself. Yeah, maybe throw that out there, uh, Lucas, if somebody wants to check out the patterns you guys are tying or some of your flies, uh, other than obviously your website, maybe maybe throw out all your handles right now. Why don't we do that? Yeah, sure. Uh, if you feel like checking this out, uh, you can check out our website. It's meatmarketflies.com. You can find us on Instagram at meatmarketflies. You can find us on Facebook once again, Meat Market Flies. Uh, we have a really cool fly tying page on Facebook. It's called The Butcher Block. And there are some unbelievably talented tires in there. I'm, all, I'm blown away all the time when I get on there to see what people are tying. It's, I mean, there's some unbelievably talented people out there. Um, but if you're a beginner, Come on, show us what you got. We <laughs> no one's going to make fun of you or anything. It's funny you say that. And, uh, I find that more and more now with with the access to all the media. There, there's so many amazing tires that nobody nobody's heard of. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, we're blown away by some of the stuff that people are posting. It's like, oh my gosh, that is unbelievable. And it's like, I don't even know this guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, before it'd be like, you know, it's like Kelly Gallup or Mike Mercer, you know, or guys like that. 
you know, like Bob Clouser, like those were like the tires. And now there's all these unbelievable tires out there who are on social media. It's really, really cool. I th- I really think that's a testimony to the fact that you can watch somebody do it. Because back in the day, you, you had to go to a club, you had to go to, you know what I mean? You, you didn't have access. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing to me how, how you can just pull these recipes off, off the internet. Yeah, it's awesome. And uh, and if you want to check out our YouTube, you can pull our patterns off the internet and let it rip. Yeah, I was doing that earlier tonight. You got some good stuff on there. I, awesome, man. I want to get back. We have more on the way. Yeah, it's really cool. I uh, I got to thank Chris Thompson, Trout Addict, who I know you're familiar with, but he, he he's the fellow that uh, said, hey, you got to give these guys a shout. I love what you're doing. That's awesome. Well, it's a different angle that you're coming at it. You know, you're specializing in basically one type of fly, which I think is really cool. Yeah. You know, because there's... Yeah. The possibilities with tying are endless. Heck, they're endless when you just look at streamers. Would you Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just... It boggles my mind. Yeah. Have you got any... It's, it's really crazy. Have you got any crazy fish stories from your time on the water or something uh, that maybe comes to mind that's kind of weird or wonderful that's happened to you in the past uh, past little bit? Oh, man. Something weird or wonderful that's happened to me in the past little bit. Hmm. Let me think about that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Take a time. Uh-huh. Well, I actually did manage to catch my first carp on the fly, which was a pretty cool moment for me. That's no small feat. Uh, yeah, it's not. <laughs> but... I had been, you know, it's funny. It's like, you know, you hear stories about carp and they're like, man, these things are everywhere in every ditch, man. I've looked all over and I've seen like two. (laughs) So I was like, I'm not even sure these things exist. Uh, and I was like, God, you know, I can't find these things to save my life. I don't know where guys are catching these things. And sure enough, we're out on the river. We're at the mouth of this Creek and, uh, all of a sudden there's like a school of a hundred carp right at the mouth of this Creek. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, it is on because I mean, they're clearly not spawning. I really don't know what they were doing. I couldn't figure it out. They weren't spawning though, but, uh, you know, I'm like, Oh my gosh, it is on. And so I just tie on a, we have this like micro game changer with us. And I mean, I, I don't have a single cart pattern in my box that has changed since this happened. But at the time we had like this micro game changer and I was like, oh, this is not going to work. You know, like these things eat like crayfish and freshwater clams or damselfly nymphs, you know, and stuff like that. Or, you know, which is what I've always heard that these will predate upon. But sure enough, we just throw it out there and instantly this massive cart just pins it down. And it was nuts. It was like, it was totally eye opening to me because you'll hear these stories like these things only eat this, like these general things. And that's, I think that's one of the most dangerous things you can do in fly fishing. And I, I fall for it all the time. I'm such a sucker for those general, <laughs> those generalities or whatever you want to call them, those steadfast rules. But the truth is these are wild animals who are just trying to pass on their genes and the best way to do that is just taking advantage of easy food sources for them. And, you know, whether it's a bait fish or not, if it's available to them and easy to get without them expending a lot of energy to get it, they will take their shot at it. And sure enough, 
I mean, we're catching carp on game changers now, which is wow. insane. Tell tell us a little bit about that that first carp on the fly, that initial that initial run they're known for. Oh, it's I mean, it it's crazy. It actually is true what they say. I mean, they'll just take off, man. And I mean, these I mean, as you can imagine, most of the carp are pretty large because no one ever does anything <laughs> with them. And so they just eat and get bigger and bigger, but I mean, they'll just take off and I mean, they'll just dog you, just try to reel them in, reel them in, reel them in. And then they'll go back out and reel them in, reel them in, reel them in. You know, they really do just like bulldog you, but that initial run is for real. It's true what people say yeah, about it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can attest to that myself. I, I think they're, they're, I mean, they're not maybe the prettiest fish in the world, but you want to talk about it. Oh, I don't think anyone can say that with a straight face. They're they're ugly fish, but they're cool. Yeah, I like no, them. I do too. I do too. I think they're a neat fish, and and they they grow to be quite old. And I think uh, I mean where I'm at, you can see them up into fifteen, twenty pounds fairly easily. Oh yeah, absolutely. There were some that I swear were probably pushing forty pounds in wow. that pod. That's amazing. Yeah. Right on. I got to take you back to kind of a, a f- philosophical place, if you don't mind, Lucas. Yeah, let's do it. I guess I'm curious if there's something about the sport of fly fishing that you think we could do maybe a little better, or is there anything you'd like to see us do a little differently? Oh, that's a good question. Man, there's a lot I think we could okay. do better. Uh, let me think about this. Okay, I would say my biggest gripe with fly fishing is probably the egos out there. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like some of these guys that think they're like, you know, King Kong, you know, that gripping grins all the time. It's like, man, this is just brutal, dude. (laughs) You know, it's like, I don't want to hear or see how awesome you are when it's like, I'm sure you're a cool guy, but it's like, all I want to see is just cool fish. You know, it's like, I don't want to see you. I just want to see cool fish. (laughs) (laughs) that's it you know and it's like i just want to hear like a cool story and i just want to see cool fish i don't really want to see you uh i don't know i mean some guys it's just it just kills me sometimes that the egos are just brutal at times and we don't have any egos on our crew that's like one of our things we just don't care we're kind of easygoing you know whatever uh but that's probably one of my biggest gripes i wish you know, fly fishing. I think it's getting a lot better though. I think fly fishing is becoming more open and accessible to a lot more people and more inviting. Uh, and I'm really excited to see that. I love like, I, you know, I love seeing the girls out on the water, you know, the 50, 50 on the water. I think that's really cool. It's awesome. You know, my wife has been fishing with me since day one and she loves it and I love getting her out. Uh, so I think we're headed in the right direction there. I think that's great. Uh, you know, social media is what it is. <laughs> I mean, not going to change it. Not going to try to change it. I mean, we're guilty of it too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I'm not here to stand on my soapbox, but it's like, man, I wish some people would just tone it down a little yeah. bit. <laughs> no, I know. I hear you. It's like the pack mentality sometimes on social media can get a little scary. Oh my gosh, it can get just wild on there sometimes. Yeah, like, I, I know. I've uh, I've left a lot of sites just because I, 
you start you start looking at a thread and it goes and it goes and it goes and you're like man these two people are really starting a little uh war here it's uh i don't really i go there to relax oh, man you know i know and it's crazy and it's it is that's the thing it's like i'm supposed to like come here like at the end of the day where i'm like sitting down and it's like hey what are people catching today you know or like what's happening today and it's just like two people fighting over a fish that someone held out of the water and that's not okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh yeah, my gosh. I hear you. Um, take, I'm looking at your kind of your work history. You told me that I think you said you were a fisheries biologist. Was that accurate? So you, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that is, is it safe accurate. to say that fish and fishing has always kind of been a central part of your life? Oh, without a doubt. And before I was, you know, uh, you know, into fly fishing, I was into fish. <laughs> That's kind of like how it really came full circle for me was I was just obsessed with fish. I can't describe it. I don't know why, but I was just obsessed with fish in the water. I think it was because they lived in this environment that was really, you know, inaccessible for humans for the most part. You know, you can't really just hang out in the water for that long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and fishing really became a way for me to get closer to these animals, which is, you know, all I really want. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, I mean, fishing may not have always been a central part of my life from day one, but fish always have been since day one. It's such a multi-layered pastime too, because you're, you're spending this time on the water, getting away from it all in beautiful places. And it, it's a hidden world down there. So you kind of, I don't know. It's a pretty special feeling to me when you get out on the water. And I, I love some of this underwater footage I'm seeing now with GoPros. Or Oh, it's so cool. I love the underwater footage. Yeah, I do too. It just, uh, the drones, I get a little tired of the drone stuff sometimes, but once you get. I know. I think the drone stuff's getting a little overplayed for my taste. It's like, man, everyone's got a drone, but I like the split shots. I like the underwater stuff. Mm -hmm. Really cool. Yeah, there's so much you can do, and the t and the average person now has access to that equipment. Whereas, you know, I know it's crazy. It's like, man, before you have to spend an arm and a leg to have access to that kind of stuff. Do you do a lot of footage from your trips? I mean, I've seen uh, your videos on on Tyne and whatnot, but do you do much uh, footage on the water? You know, that's actually a good question. We actually, I mean, the other night we just had a big discussion about that, about how we are going to actually start doing that. Uh, not only just like kind of highlighting our trips out on the water, but kind of doing tips and tricks out on the water to help you with your success. Because I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that's, you know, knowledge that's missing out in the fly fishing world that can really speed up that learning curve for you. Because I mean, it can be brutal in the beginning and I'm testament to that. I didn't have anyone to teach me. And I was just out there casting a rod in the grass, trying to figure this out for myself. And it was brutal in the beginning absolutely brutal but i figured it out and we're good to go now thanks to youtube helped a lot and if we could help someone get out there and have more success i mean that's what we're all about that's the reason why we're here here's a question for you i've been dying to ask a professional tire for quite some time and i always forget all right let's hear it how many whip finishes oh that's a good question how many like like when finishes? you finish that Man. fly off how many times you go around when you whip finish i'd say five wow for me personally i do five solid 
Yeah, I've I've heard everywhere from three to six. I I usually do. Three, yeah, I mean, five's a lot. So that's a that's a pretty solid finish. Yeah, that's that is a ton. It, and honestly, it does depend on the pattern too. Like if I'm doing a thread head, I'll do three whip finishes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because if you do five on that, then you're going to just have like this grotesque looking thread head and. That is like one of my biggest pet peeves yeah. in the entire world is when you have like a sloppy head at the end of your fly. Couldn't it's like, agree oh, more. that is so frustrating. I know. I totally agree. And that, that actually, that to me is the difference between somebody that's just starting to tie and somebody that's been doing it for a long time. You can always look at the head. Yeah. You can look at the head of the fly and it's like, oh man, that is rough. Or like the big gap between the bead and the material. It's like, oh, that's another big pet peeve of mine. I hate when there's that thread gap between the bead and the material. Uh, Lucas, but, what are you putting on? What are you finishing that fly with uh, as far as cement or UV resin? What, what are you using? Mostly UV resin. Uh, I really like, I have two that I really like. I really like the Loon Outdoors fluorescing UV flow. That's great yeah. to finish off heads with. Um, and... The other one that I have really started to become a big fan of is the Pro Sport Fisher uh, UV resin. Uh, they're the people that make uh, your tubes, like your sealhead tubes. They have unbelievable products, and they just keep coming out with cooler and cooler products. But their UV resin is absolutely fantastic. It's really, really good, but the bottle sucks. It's terrible. They need to redesign the bottle desperately. Okay. What about the uh, what about the light you're using to cure this with? Is there a specific go-to uh, UV light you use? Yeah, I use the Loon Infinity UV light. It's the rechargeable one. Really nice, really powerful. It just like cures everything in like three seconds. A lot of times uh, when we do like a timing demo, I'll just like shine it. I'm like one, two, three, done. You know, flip it off and people would be like, that can't be dry yet. And, you know, toss them the fly. It's like, yeah, man, check it out. See for yourself. This stuff's crazy. You know, and they're like, wow, this is completely cured. It's rock solid. Like, yeah, this light's for real. That's that's good stuff. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And I am really fussy personally with the, I've tried maybe six or seven different uh, brands of UV uh, resin or finish. And I just find... The the thinner the stuff, the better to me. Like that's that's Absolutely. why I like the flow you I just mentioned. I completely agree with that. I uh, all I use are like the thinnest ones that they have. Mm. Yeah, because you can always build it up a little more, right? But some of that buggy stuff is just too big to begin with, and you need to. Oh thin my it gosh! Out. Absolutely. Like some of like the really thick stuff, it's like, oh, this is too much. I mean, unless you're really trying to build up a body then yeah. there's no reason on earth to use it. And it's like that thin stuff, it works great as a head cement. Uh, it works great for securing the eyes. It gets into all the nooks and crannies, and you can just cure it, and then boom, there you go. No more waiting for super glue to dry. Tell me about your organizational skills as oh. a tire. Is it, like, are you, are you sitting in front of a wall? I, 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 I kind of picture you sitting in your tying room right now. I don't know if you yeah, are. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm sitting in my tying room right now. I'm staring at a wall of fly tying material. I basically own a fly shop in the spare bedroom of our house. And uh, organization is so key for me, but I'm an organized like freak. You know, I have like all my material organized, 
all my feathers are organized, all my bucktail is organized, all my dubbing's organized, like literally everything from top to bottom is organized. That doesn't mean that my desk isn't a mess, because it always is, and that's just part of the deal, but as far as my material goes, it's always organized, because the more you're digging around for material, that is time that you're losing. When you go to tie, say, a few of any one pattern, I'm always curious to somebody that does this a lot. Do you sit there, say you're putting a tungsten bead on this pattern, do you sit there and take six or eight hooks and put the tungsten bead on and line them up first, or do you do it one at a time? No, I do production style. So I just do one step at a time, all the steps. So like you said, I will get out a dozen hooks. I will, you know, cut the shank to the length that I want. I will put the bead on and then I will, you know, just start tying the fly one step at a time, production style. In my opinion, that is the best way to crank out large numbers of flies quickly. Well, and your consistency probably is amazing that way too, because you're exactly. every time that's you rip- the biggest thing is your consistency is so much better when you do it that way too. How do you ship your flies? What do you what do you ship them in? We ship them in little bubble mailers, little you know, like your Manila envelopes with uh, some bubble wrap inside, and they either come <laughs> they come in a variety of things. Sometimes you'll get a plastic box. Sometimes you'll get old fly tying material bags. Sometimes you will get biohazard bag. Uh, you'll get all kinds of things from us. <laughs> I might cut that biohazard part out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. Like anytime he gives them to me, I always think I, we have never received a comment on them. And I'm always surprised because it's so funny. It just says like biohazard and then there's like a bunch of checks of like what they are, like what could potentially be in the bag. It's so funny. Prob- no one's ever said anything to us and I can't believe it. They probably think it's some cutting edge marketing. I, well, it kind of is <laughs> a little bit. That's why I started doing it. I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool. Like, I mean, don't you want to get some massive streamers in a biohazard bag? That sounds pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it couldn't fail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right on. Well, hey, Lucas, I really want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us tonight. Um, so somebody can go online, uh, check out your patterns. I know you've got all type of uh, high-quality streamers. I love what you guys are up to. I think it's really unique. Awesome. And, uh, thank I want you, to- Mark. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I, I appreciate you bet. it. Thank you so much for having us. It was a lot of fun. And keep up the great work on the podcast. We're all big fans of it. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.